0: Well, hi, everybody. So glad you could be with us this weekend. If we have not met, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgeway, and I'm just really excited we can spend this time together, and I'm looking forward to digging into God's Word with you. Uh, Before we get into that, though, I got to tell you, over these last several weeks and kind of we're moving into now now months, I've experienced a really sort of odd mix of emotions. And and I'm guessing you'd probably say the same. I don't know if the emotions you felt are exactly the same as mine, but I don't think there are a lot of us who are going, yeah, over the last three months, I'd say things have been pretty even keeled and and normal for me, right? Uh, I mean, I think about, my own life, and uh, I know that a lot in my world has felt very frantic. I think about here here at the church. I mean, our team has worked so hard to, to transition in light of everything that's gone on. And we've worked so hard to figure out, okay, uh, how can we be a church when we can't meet together? Uh, it's fair to say that's been a bit of a disruption to our plans. And, and I'll tell you, I just by nature am someone who's very comfortable with change. <laughs> but everything we've gone through in the last few months, I mean, that's just been next level. And and don't get me wrong, I am so incredibly proud of our team and how hard everyone has worked. uh, So that we've been able to be in a place where the building has been closed, but I hope you understand the church has been open this entire time. An incredible ministry is happening on the weekends and midweek, just all over the place. God is doing amazing things. And what's just as encouraging is I just look throughout our region and see just what other churches are doing. And I'm so encouraged by the fact that even amidst all the disruption, uh, the gospel is impacting lives through local churches all over our region. And it's an incredible thing to see. But I'm just going to be honest with you and say that, man, in, in just my work life has felt a little bit frantic lately, and I'm I'm guessing that you would probably say the same thing about yours. Uh, And then aside from that, I I teach over at William Jessup University, and they've done an incredible job in this last semester that we had this spring of transitioning us into online learning, and they supported us as faculty so well. But man, that transition from being in the classroom to being online was not without its hiccups, right? Uh, And then personally, there's just the adjustment to working from home, which I'm so grateful that that's even something I'm able to do. I recognize what a blessing that is. But at the same time, it's just a little bit of a challenge working, knowing that my wife and my children are on the other side of the wall. And I've had so many experiences over these last couple of months where I felt that sort of twinge of dad guilt as I walk into the office, or I should say our spare room that has become my office uh, over these last several months. Again, I recognize the blessing, but it's not without its challenges. So, so all of that to say, this has been an adjustment. And it's felt a little bit frantic and stressful. And that doesn't even begin to touch on just the, the interesting challenges of having kids at home 24-7 and the financial challenges that my family and I, so, and I know so many others have had to navigate. Everything has felt pretty rushed and urgent and frantic. And I don't know your exact situation. Maybe it's similar to mine and you can relate to a lot of what I'm talking about. Maybe it's different and I fully recognize that that some of you, the adjustments you've had to make and the sacrifices you've had to make are so much greater than anything that I've described. But I think the fact of the matter is we've just all faced some pretty wild, crazy, and unexpected challenges in this season. But then on the flip side of there have been these strange moments of calm that I've experienced just because so much is canceled. Like I'm not spending my weeknights coaching on the soccer field or the basketball court. Uh, My sons and I aren't going to Kings games. We aren't going to school events. We aren't going to social events. I'm not watching sports or reading about sports or texting with my friends about sports or updating my children on the latest that's going on in the sports world. Uh, and I miss all of those things, but it is sort of interesting the space that the absence of all of the extra things has created in my family's life. And what that has meant for us is even in the midst of all of the hurry and all of the kind of the chaos of the season, it's meant things like a little bit more time out in our front yard shooting baskets. It's meant a little bit more time to spend playing sort of silly games or looking up funny YouTube videos. Uh, that's, that means I've been able to spend more time just sitting in my backyard reading. And I'm reading, even reading books about how to be less hurried and less frantic in my life. Or, Or here's another thing, I've done this really weird thing where I just sit there and do nothing for a little while. Like no book, no screen in front of me, nothing. And I'll just be honest with you, by nature, I'm the sort of person who like I'll watch TV while listening to a podcast and scrolling through something on my phone, and that all is very normal to me. So creating this space just for quiet and reflection, it is very unnatural to me. But I've kind of enjoyed it. This season has meant more agendaless time with my wife and my kids on my day off. So this season, and I'm guessing a lot of you again can relate to me on this, this season has been anything but relaxed but there have been these odd sort of times of slowness that I've experienced. And it's in those moments of slowness that I've started to ask this question. And I'm guessing that that many of you have maybe wrestled with this question as well. And the question is this, what do I want my life to look like when this is all over? What do I want my life to look like when this is all over? And listen, I recognize that the impact of everything we're going through is gonna be felt for a very long time. I understand that there's not going to be some magical day where we simply sort of press the unpause button and we just go on as if none of this ever happened. But at the same time, I mean, we know this and we're starting to experience it, that that we're gonna have an opportunity to begin to return to some semblance of normalcy. So what I'm trying to do for myself personally is take some time in those quiet moments and ask the question, what do I want my life to look like when this is over? So much has been subtracted, and I just want to make sure that I'm only adding back the things that really need to be there. And then even in our family, as we've wrestled with the adjustments of this season, I've seen there's new opportunity for us to ask the question, what do we want our family to look like when this is over? What is our family life going to look like? And listen, what is happening right now is a tragedy, and I don't in any way, shape, or form mean to minimize that. This pandemic has brought with it tremendous suffering. But as Pastor Lance shared several weeks ago, God is in the business of redeeming tragedy. And I believe part of the opportunity for redemption that exists in this situation is that in the the midst of the stress, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the financial challenges, there is an opportunity for us to take stock of our lives and to think with intentionality about our future. It's as though the disruption of our rhythms creates space to think about maybe changing our tune a little bit. In all of the pain, there's an opportunity. And I believe just like that opportunity exists for us as individuals, and just like that opportunity exists for you and your family, whatever your family situation looks like, that opportunity exists for us as a church. That there is a chance for us as a church to ask the question, what kind of church do we want to be when this is all over? And we're asking that question and wrestling with it on a leadership level and we're constantly thinking about how best to serve you all in the midst of all that is going on. But I want to encourage you to think about that question too. Because I hope you understand, make no mistake about it, the, the church is you, the church is me, the church is all of us together. The, the building might be the place where we normally come together and meet, but the building is just a building. The church is the people. The church is a family following Jesus together. So we can ask, what kind of church do we want to be when this is all over? It's a powerful question. And it's why I think it's such an incredible time for us to be in this series that we've called Connecting to Church. We're in part three of the series this weekend and we've been going through the book of Ephesians and and this is an incredible time for us as a faith community To study God's word and together ask that question, what kind of church do we want to be? And I think we can think about that question with a little more clarity because of these circumstances. And so far, see, what we've done in this series is we've talked about the unity that the church can display because of our common faith in Christ. Pastor Lance started off the series by by preaching a message called Radical Fusion. And he talked about this idea how, how when Jesus Christ came, what he did was he overcame centuries of division and hostility that existed between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And he created one new, new, new group out of two that these two groups that were divided were now united in Christ. And he talked about this powerful idea how it is human nature to divide, but we're not merely human. And that when we take on Jesus' nature, we can be reconcilers instead of dividers. And then in week two, I talked about the idea of radical unity and dug deeper into the idea that Jesus is the one who brings us peace. And when his peace lives in our hearts, we can have a unity that transcends any of our differences. And then I loved what we talked about last week. It was technically a break from the series and it was a topical message, but what Pastor Paul had to share fits so beautifully with the direction we're going in this series, and he gave us some practical principles that can help us to be a radically inclusive community. I hope you're picking up on the theme of where we're going with the series. We want to be a church that has a commitment to unity in diversity. We're not all going to be the same, and we're not always going to agree on everything, but we're going to affirm that our unity in Christ is greater than anything that could possibly divide us. So I wanna encourage you, if you have it available to you, to go ahead and open the Bridgeway app if you wanna follow along, and in the time we've got left today, I wanna look into God's word and share with you a message I'm calling Radical Grace. Because I believe we live in a world that is starving for grace. And if we're gonna be a church that impacts our community and the world, we need to be a church that experiences and celebrates and dispenses radical grace. Cause see, we live in this world where insecurity and fear of missing out and feelings of inadequacy run rampant. And so many of us are longing to know that we are accepted and we are loved. And and, and what I'm about to say, I believe this so strongly. In fact, it's the fill in the blank on the app if you're following along. And it's this, that grace is transformational. That grace is transformational. That when we experience the grace of God, it changes us. And I believe that when we, as a community, experience the grace of God, not only will we unite together, but we will be a force of reconciliation and unity in our community. We will be a community that invites just a world that is hungry for grace in to say you are accepted and you are loved just as you are. Grace is transformational. And if we experience God's grace, we can be that kind of church and that kind of community. So if you have a Bible or a Bible-equipped mobile device, I want to invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're going to pick things up today, Ephesians chapter 3. In the latter half of Ephesians 2, Paul has talked about the incredible work that God has done uniting Jews and Gentiles, and, and we spoke about that a moment ago. And as we move into chapter 3, what Paul's going to do is he's going to mention briefly sort of the situation that he's in as he's writing this letter. And he's going to talk about something that he calls the mystery of Christ. And in the course of doing that, he's going to show us some things about grace. And see, we've talked this year in our study of the book of Ephesians about the idea that grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting something good that we do not deserve. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And as we read through Ephesians 3, 1 through 6 this weekend, I wanna talk about what grace does to us when we experience it. I wanna talk about four ways that grace transforms us because hear me on this, one of the best things we can do to emerge from this situation stronger as individuals, stronger as families, and stronger as a faith community is we can more deeply experience God's grace. So again, I've got four things that grace does to us when it gets a hold of our hearts. And we're going to walk through them as we read the passage. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I'll just tell you right now, we're going to spend the majority of our time on verses 1 and 2. But eventually we'll get through to verse 6. So Paul writes this after saying that God has united Jew and Gentile together and he's sort of building them into this community with Jesus at the center. And then in verse 1 he says this for this reason because of this new thing god is doing uniting jews and gentiles for this reason i paul a prisoner for christ jesus on behalf of you gentiles pause two things number one right here this is just sort of funny to me right here paul basically interrupts himself in fact if you look down in your bible uh, you'll see that there's this dash after the word gentiles And essentially what he does is he interrupts himself all the way through verse 13, and then he picks up his train of of thought again in verse 14. In fact, if you look down at verse 14, you'll see that same phrase from verse 1, for this reason. It's as if he's sort of reminding himself, oh, right, here's what I was talking about. But this is no mere tangent. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired tangent that Paul goes on right here. But second and more importantly, Did you notice the language Paul used to describe his imprisonment? He says he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And let's be very clear about one thing. Jesus is not the one who put him in jail. Jesus is not sitting outside his cell making sure he doesn't get out, right? But Paul says he's a prisoner for Christ. And that's language that we see multiple times in Paul's writing throughout the New Testament. But again, Jesus didn't put Paul in jail. Rome put Paul in jail, and Jewish leaders surely had something to do with that. And listen, is Paul excited about being in jail? No, he's not. Would he get out if he could? Almost certainly Uh, Has he leveraged his Roman citizenship in the past to avoid some persecution and punishment? Yes, he has, and the book of Acts talks about that. Is there anything wrong with seeking to avoid things like imprisonment and punishment and just suffering in general? No, not at all. But right now he's in prison, and he can't get out. And he's in prison because he had the audacity to say that Gentiles were welcomed into the family of God. So what does he say? I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. What's the point? The first way that grace transforms us is grace prepares us. Grace prepares us. See, listen, Paul did not actively seek out this hardship. And I don't think there's anything in our faith that tells us we should actively seek out hardship. If you have a choice between hardship and not hardship, and neither one is going to cause you to violate God's commands, feel free to choose not hardship. Right? But Paul said, you know what? If I'm going to suffer in prison, I'm going to do it for Jesus. And I'm here, and he says, he doesn't say, oh, I'm here just because of you stinking Gentiles, you got me into this mess. He says, no, no, no. I know my mission is to to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and and that's why I'm here, And, and that's okay. See, Paul knew that when Jesus walked the earth, he inaugurated this thing called the kingdom of God. And Jesus threw open the gates to Jew and Gentile alike and said that all are welcome in God's family. But then Jesus said things like this. He said, if anybody would come after me, they must take up their cross and follow. See, Paul Paul knew that when he chose to follow Jesus, he chose to follow a Messiah who suffered. And he knew Jesus said things like, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And see, what Paul understood, see, Paul had had this radical encounter with Jesus. He had been so radically transformed by God's grace towards him. What Paul understood is that when we have been transformed by Christ, we can be prepared to face hardship well. We can look to Jesus, and and hear me on this, we can look to Jesus and know that our faith in him does not promise that we will not experience earthly suffering, but our faith can prepare us to suffer well. Our faith can teach us that if we're going to face hardship, and this is what Paul demonstrates so powerfully, that if we're going to face hardship, we can do so in a way that God is glorified in a way that benefits somebody else. See, Paul says, listen, I'm not happy about this whole prisoner thing, but if I'm going to be a prisoner, I'm going to be a prisoner for Christ. If I'm going to be in this position, and I'm in a position that I don't want to be in, and I can't get out of it, I'm going to do this for Christ. See, when you experience God's grace, it prepares you for hardship. And I don't know if you've heard this statistic, probably not because I just made it up, But approximately one out of every one people, person, people, I don't know, one out of every one person experiences hardship in their lives. You don't need to Google that. But see, when our hope is not in the things of this world, but our hope is in the one who saves us by his grace, that transforms us in such a way that we can endure hardship for his glory. So I want to ask you, Paul was in prison in a situation he could not get out of. What's the life situation you're in right now that you want no part of, but that you can't get out of? And in this, in this situation that you're in, what does it look like for you to say, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for Jesus, and I'm going to seek to honor him in it, and somehow, some way, somebody is going to be blessed through it. See, this pandemic has caused all of us to suffer in some way. What does it look like for you and I to say, I don't like this hardship. This hardship is very real. I didn't choose it, but I'm not going to let it make me bitter. I'm not going to let it make me cynical. I'm not going to let it suck me in so that I'm feeding into the the divisiveness and the anger. I'm going to find a way to glorify God through this maybe you're facing unemployment or financial struggle maybe you're facing relational turmoil maybe you're facing the kind of isolation that makes you wish you had some relational turmoil maybe you're facing a grim health diagnosis i think about this all the time that a global pandemic doesn't stop all the other stuff that causes hardship but i think about even on the health side of things people that i've known in the past and in the present who in facing difficult health challenges, they say, would you please pray for me? And you, know, you can pray for my physical healing, sure, if you want to, but what I really want you to pray for is that God would be glorified in this. Man, that's, that, that is transformed by grace right there. That is facing hardship for the glory of God. I want to ask you, can God's grace prepare you to suffer well in your situation, whatever your situation is? And it makes me think of one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. To summarize the end of chapter 11 very, very briefly, chapter 11 leaves us with this question of going, what does it look like to live for Jesus? What does it look like to seek to glorify God in a world where it seems like some of us live these lives of great blessing and some of us suffer tremendously and that more often than not, we don't get to choose which side of that coin we live on. What does it look like to honor God in that kind of world? And Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, therefore, since we are part of this community of faith that God has brought together, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And see, this is what Paul understood. He understood that we don't get to choose the race we run, but we can choose to run it well. We don't get to choose the race we run, but we can choose to run it well. We can see that Jesus is our example. Jesus is our hero. Jesus is the one who is with us in every valley. Jesus is the one who says that one a day will come when the darkness will lift, and because of that, we can suffer well. God's grace prepares us to know that our lives are not our own. We belong to God and we can trust him in all circumstances. Amen. God's grace prepares us. Paul says, if I'm going to be a prisoner, it's going to be for Jesus. All right. That's one verse. We got five to go. Here we go. Verse two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And I just want to draw your attention here to the language Paul uses to describe God's grace. He describes it as a stewardship, something he's been entrusted with for the sake of his readers. So grace prepares us was the first one. What's the second way that grace transforms us? Grace inspires us. See, Paul, man, Paul was nothing if not a man of action. And his action was inspired by the tremendous work of God's grace in his life. See, grace is not about works, but it does inspire action. Uh, We referenced earlier how in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and it is not of our own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works. But then in the very next verse, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. See, grace is not earned by action, but it inspires action. God's grace, rightly understood, does not lead to passivity but it leads to a spirit-filled, joyful, purposeful sense of responsibility in the world. See, God's grace doesn't lead us to ask the question, well, how much do I have to do? Or what good do I have to do? As if it were some sort of obligation, but rather it leads us to ask the question, for what good have I been created? See, if God's grace leads us to passivity, I don't think we've understood it. I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 where he says as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's that word again steward. See the very same grace that welcomes you and all, you, or, excuse me that welcomes you and I into God's family is the grace that inspires us to participate in the family business. Jesus doesn't just remove our sin, though he does do that. He gives us a new and better vision for our lives. He fills us with His grace so that we can then be a blessing. For others. I think about Paul's famous words in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And he says, the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, that's a life inspired by grace. When we understand God's grace, It frees us from a life wasted on self-obsession and inspires us to live for something greater. And when we as a church can have that sort of vision for our lives, both individually and collectively, see, that's when church becomes exciting. That's when church ceases to be a spectator sport and starts to be an active and healthy Family that glorifies God and blesses the world. And that is the sort of church that God has made us to be, Bridgeway. That's the church we are today, and we just want to continue to grow into that as we move forward. We want to be a church that is inspired by grace to take action in the world for God's glory and the good of our community and world. So God's grace prepares us, God's grace inspires us. Let's keep going. We're going to take a few verses in a big chunk here to repeat verse two assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly that's almost certainly a reference just to what he wrote in Ephesians 2 when you read this when you read this excuse me you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was made known to the sons of men in other genera, or was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, I get that passage is a little wordy. It's like, what, the, what is going on here? But I want to draw your attention to this word mystery that Paul uses twice because it's key to understanding the passage. When Paul uses the word mystery in Ephesians, he's not referring to the sort of thing that Sherlock Holmes would solve or that is the subject subject of an Agatha Christie novel. It's not that kind of mystery. A mystery for Paul is not something to be solved by human ingenuity or effort or detective work. Rather, in this sense, a mystery is something that is revealed by God. And you can even see that in the language that Paul uses. I mean, in verse 3, he says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And in verse 5, he says, the mystery of Christ was not made known to those in prior generations, but has now been revealed to the apostles and the prophets. That's a reference to the writers of the New Testament. And Paul is referring to a specific mystery that we're going to talk about in a second. But there's a broader point here for us to know today, and I just want to touch on it real quick. And that is my third way that grace transforms us. Number one, it prepares us. Number two, it inspires us. Number three, God's grace enlightens us. God's grace enlightens us. God's grace opens our eyes to who God is so that we can be transformed by our knowledge of him. We can only know God. I was just reading a children's book with my son the other day about this. We can only know God because God has revealed himself to us. And his, his willingness to reveal himself, to make himself known to us is a gift of his grace scripture tells us in psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God that God makes himself known in all sorts of ways and one of those ways is creation 2nd Timothy chapter 2 or excuse me 2nd Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God that God makes himself known most fully in the scriptures I think about a verse that I often like to pray as I sit down to study God's word, and it's Psalm 119, verse 18, where the psalmist writes, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. See, in the Bible, God reveals himself to us. Engagement with the scriptures is not simply a dry spiritual exercise. It's the way we know God. It's the way that he speaks most clearly. It's the way that he enlightens us with knowledge of himself so that we can be transformed by that knowledge. And I said a moment ago, the truth is that for us to know God, we need God to open our eyes. For us to know God, we need him to reveal himself to us. And the good news is, is that God is eager to do so. That God, in his grace, is eager to reveal himself to us. And God's grace enlightens us so that we can know God rightly. Because when we know God rightly, it will increase our desire to serve him fully. When we know him rightly, it increases our desire to serve him fully. I mean, it reminds me of another one of Paul's letters In Colossians, where Paul prays in chapter 1 for the Colossian church, that they would be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. As we increase in the knowledge of God, we're better prepared to bear fruit for his kingdom. And God's grace enlightens us to make that happen. See, I believe so strongly that we need to be people who are engaged in understanding the word of God. Again, not as some dry spiritual exercise, not as a way to feel holier than thou or anything, but because we need God to enlighten us with the knowledge of him and we find that knowledge in his word. And finally, let's close this out, verse six. This mystery... Is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel? What is the mystery that Paul is referring to? It's what we've been talking about throughout this series. That Jews and Gentiles are both invited into God's family. We're members of the same body. And I love the language that is used here. He says that we are partakers of the promise. In the family of God, there is no hierarchy. There is no caste system. There is no in crowd or out crowd. But rather, the invitation into the family of God is extended to all. How is it that invitation extended? In Christ Jesus through the gospel. The good news that jesus has come that he has lived a perfect life that he went to the cross and died in our place and for our sin and he rose from death to prove to us that our greatest enemies satan's sin and death will have no power over us and he invites everyone into his family how else does god's grace transform us it prepares us it inspires us it enlightens us and finally it empowers us god's grace empowers us God's grace empowers us to be part of God's family. God's grace empowers us to know that we can live with the resources of heaven. God's grace empowers us to be people of love and joy and peace in a world of suspicion and anger and division. God's grace empowers us to know that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, our lives do not have to be defined by our past, but rather we can look with confidence into the future, knowing that the spirit of God is with us and that he says he will never leave us nor forsake us. God's grace empowers us to live with a secure identity that no pandemic or earthly circumstance can touch. God's grace empowers us to be a church that is as alive and united and as connected as ever, even if the building is closed. And God's grace empowers us to live with spiritual power that the gates of hell cannot touch. God's grace empowers you because it invites you to be part of God's family. And as we close, I need you to understand that that grace is for you, that that grace is for you. And I just want to talk to you real quick. If you're someone who you're You're hearing all this and you've thought different things about God or you've had different engagement with with church or you've had your questions and all of that. But, But if you're honest, you would just say, you know, I don't know that I've ever accepted God's invitation to come into his family. I don't know that I've ever fully recognized that when Jesus died on the cross that he paid the penalty for my sin and that if my faith is in him, that that I can be a part of God's family, that, that the scriptures teach us that when our faith is in Christ, when God looks at us, he does not see our sinful imperfection, but rather he sees Christ's perfection. Maybe some of you are here today and you need to accept that invitation to come into God's family. There are no hoops you need to jump through. There are no tests you need to pass. There's no like Bible quiz you need to score a certain percentage. On. You just need to respond in faith and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Jesus, I admit that I'm a, a sinner who needs a savior and I want you to be mine. So if that's you, I would love for you just to join me in prayer. I want to pray for you. And you can even, you can indicate if you're watching on our website, you can click the I raise my hand button and just indicate that you're responding in, in, in faith, in, to, to faith in Christ for the first time and, and let us know. And we'd love to be able to, to follow up with you. But I just want to pray for you. And maybe this can be the day where you step into eternal life, where you step into God's family. So let me pray for you. And then I'll close by praying for all of us. If you're wanting to receive Jesus as your savior and make him Lord of your life, would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for grace that has been talked about today. Thank you that you love us, love me so much that you sent Jesus to to live on this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that when he died on the cross, he was dying in my place and for my sin. Thank you that by faith in Jesus, my sins can be forgiven. Thank you that I can be part of your family, God. Thank you that I don't have to be defined by my past any longer, but that I can step confidently into the future knowing that you are with me. So I ask that you would forgive me. I thank you that you welcome me into your family. And I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. And once again, if you prayed that, we just want to encourage you to click the I raise my hand button if you're watching on the website and we'd love to be able to to follow up with you. And let me just close in just a general prayer for all of us. So God, we thank you for your grace. Thank you even for the grace of technology that we're able to have church this weekend. Thank you for grace that prepares us for hardship. Thank you for grace that inspires us to live for you and to do good in the world. Thank you for grace that enlightens us that we might understand you and who you are and thank you for grace that empowers us to live with spirit-filled confidence god may we be individuals and families and a church community that receive and that celebrate and that dispense your grace and would your grace continue to transform us for your glory and for the good of our community and our world we pray these things in jesus name amen